When is the uh, talk? Tomorrow. Shall I get three tickets? Uh, no can do. I'm busy, Gail. Sally, you're always busy when I suggest something new. Gail. Rock choir, introduction to genealogy, mosaics made simple. Gail. I mean, I think if I threw in breathing for beginners, you'd say it wasn't your bag. Gail, I'm getting married. Welcome to episode 123 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Cornishian Street catch-up podcast that very much enjoyed the irony of Tim's dad being locked up for a change, which could only have been topped had Abby forced him to eat his own beloved cock. I'm Gavin. <laughs> eat it. Eat it. <laughs> oh. oh dear. Eat it. And I'm speechless. There we go. <laughs> I'm snorrowing. <laughs> Whoa, that was unexpected. See what I've cleverly done there. But very hilarious. As a utilised a, a play on words, if you will, of cock having more than one meaning. Yes. Um, lighting upon magic there. Yeah. I remember one time, I, I, I collect these, uh, this uh, dish pattern that has, that has a rooster on it. And one time Gav and I were in an antique shop. In Massachusetts. Yeah. And Gav said, quite loudly, in this little twee antique shop. Something inappropriate, wasn't it? Madala, look, there's one of your cocks. <laughs> it's one of your cock plates. It wasn't wrong. Yeah, and then you and then you bought me that canister set for our anniversary. Oh, sweet, sweet memories. Yes. Like? Like traveling to <clears throat> a different state. Right. For a wedding. Oh, so it was. Yeah. <coughs> a wedding. One of those things where lots of people got together to celebrate other people mm-hmm. and nobody got sick. What was the, the recent rule that was announced? Was it that you could have... Was it you couldn't have people at a wedding, but you could have as many as you like at a funeral? Was it that or was it the other way around? I can't remember. I don't know. They keep changing the rules all the time in, in between plots to kidnap and murder our governor. Mm-hmm. That the the sheriff of Barry County seemed to think was within the rights to do so. Yeah, Barry County, which is right next to our county, mm-hmm. we share we share a health system with Barry County. Yay! A, a group of domestic terrorists have the right to a citizen's arrest. He's 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 part of that. Um, he's he's part of a a group of wacky sheriffs. Um, that includes that guy in Wisconsin. Uh, Hanna Barbera series by any <laughs> chance. The wacky sheriffs. Uh, who um, said something really appropri- inappropriate about um, George Floyd when he was murdered. So I'm 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 not su- I'm sh- shocked, but not that shocked. I feel like we're <clears throat> we're tiptoeing round about that podcast that we don't do. Yeah. So how are you this week? <laughs> Besides all of that stuff? Yep, now you've got over the cock shock. <laughs> Eat, it. Eat it. Just stop. It's never going to happen. <laughs> what? 
Tim's dad's never going to eat his own cock. <laughs> we can but dream. I don't know. I I feel like I'm being run off my feet, but I'm not getting very much done. And that just, it's it's frustrating and it's panicky and it just makes me want to crawl into bed and die. That's how I feel this week. Yay. Yay. But, you know, it's also been kind of fun. I helped Stelly make her um, Halloween costume this week because we have a, a socially distanced Halloween event at the old folks' home in town. Yes, it's a kill the elderly event <laughs> that's in town. The- <laughs> they wanted it. Yes. Well, everybody's- sweet, sweet death. <laughs> everybody's going to be outside and we're going to parade around the building and everybody, everybody is going to be in their family group or troop group and... Everybody's going to be socially distant, six feet apart, and and the old folks get to see us in our costumes. And was, then at the end, we get a bag of candy. I was kind of concerned because, you know, you, it's October and it's Michigan, and you can never be quite sure of what the weather's going to be like, but it's like 70 degrees yesterday. I it know. It like being the same today, so. It's gorgeous. And there's a lovely little breeze as well. You don't yeah. get breezes in Michigan very often. Yeah. In Scotland, it's constant breezes. Right, yes, because it's on an island. But you don't really get that. Not much. It wouldn't be kind of a, a peninsula, I guess. But yeah, when you get closer to the lakes, you get breezes. You get lots of breezes. It's mostly but in our still. Part, it's mostly still because we're it was surrounded a, by flat land. Lovely breeze there was yesterday. Yeah, it was nice. Although I heard somebody complain that it was windy. Oh, <laughs> they can go fuck themselves. <laughs> That's what I said. I didn't really. No. I ignored it. <laughs> I went a bit. How are you? I'm okay. You're right. Yeah, having computer problems. You may have uh, heard last week that some of the audio dropped out. Yeah, that was weird. Which didn't happen when I was making the episode. It must have happened when I was mixing it or exporting it. I don't know what happened. But I've been having computer problems all week since I put in a a recent update to the Mac that took five hours to go through. So I've got this 30th anniversary little check coming my way. I thought I'd... uh, I was going to spend it on another Mac, but they seem to be getting less for your buck these days, so I'm switching back to a, a Windows laptop that I ordered last night, and the minute that I ordered it, the Mac started playing ball again, so, right, yeah. which I think <clears throat> comes under the column of fucking typical. Yeah, it just proves that computers are sentient now, mm-hmm. and they're going to kill us all. But other than that, that's uh, 10 days off the booze. Yay! You know, it's weird, though. Which has been all right, actually, so far. You know, it's weird. Hmm. Since he started drinking the non-alcoholic Heineken, Mm -hmm. the snoring's back. Is it really? So maybe it's not the alcohol. (laughs) Maybe it's the carbonation or the... I don't know. It's weird. Interesting. It's not as bad, but it's more than it was when you were just not drinking anything. Because I'm not having very many of them. Yeah. Like two or three in a night. It's weird. Isn't it weird? Heineken Zero is great, though. For a non-alcoholic beer... It tastes just like a Heineken. Mm-hmm. Now, that might be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on your taste buds, but for me, I think that's a pretty yeah, good thing. You're one of those weird people that actually likes the taste of beer. Yeah. Apart from hop, you, the you, hoppy IPAs. You, you drink it for the taste. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, well. You're like one of those people <clears throat> that reads Playboy for the articles. No. <laughs> thank, thank I you mean, nobody reads Playboy anymore anyway, because everything's... Online. I think people still do. Do people really get Playboy subscriptions and have Playboy delivered to their homes still? I think so. It's like vinyl. 
Yeah. You know, you can get it online if you want, but some people still yearn for the vinyl. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. I, I am one of those people that does yearn for the vinyl, so I guess. I guess that... Uh... We have a shit ton to get through. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. And <clears> I have <throat> a fridge to pick up. Literally. Yes. How are you getting up? With my <clears throat> bare hands. Oh, is it not that big that you can... Oh no, it's 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 big. I got I um I'm renting a a dolly from U-Haul as well as the van. Oh, fantastic! Yes, excellent. And I'm sure <clears> the <throat> auction guys will help me out. It's the nice auction, the, the the auction people that I know the best that that I'm on a first name basis with. Give us some of that refrigerated coating news. Yes. Oh, that's got a smart. Lucy Fallon mysteriously injured her eye this week, putting on Insta a photo of it all bandaged up. However, two days later, she was posting photos and both eyes looked fine. So no harm done. And she didn't say how it happened. I'm assuming it happened on that boat show that she's on now. And she's not Corey anymore. Right. But she's still a Corey person. Eh. And she might come back. Not since she left, I don't think. No, because, you know... Although, you know, I was going to, I almost used the Catherine Tildesley thing about her videotaping people having sex on the road or in their car and, you know, use that as a lesson to, once again. She's doing what now? Once again, you know, just because people are doing something inappropriate does not give you permission to take their photos or videotape them and post it on social media and call it gross. That's not your job. You just let people have sex in their car and keep walking. Or call the police. Or just let them have their fun. It's a it's a Well, it deserted kind of depends road. where the car's parked, doesn't it? Right, yeah. Just, it's parked in a primary school parking lot. Well, it maybe was not a primary school parking lot. It was on a lonely dirt road out in the middle of nowhere, out in the country. Anyway, I'm glad that isn't caught in news, and no. yet we're still talking about it. <laughs> Well, here's some better Corey news. All hail Sir Evelyn. Evelyn. Mm -hmm. The kids yell at me when I say Evelyn, even though that's her name. What kids? It's Evelyn. Our kids. No, she's made it very clear it's Evelyn. Yes, I know. But Steli and Benny. Steli especially. When did you ever talk to them about Coronation Street? Well, when I wear my um, Maureen Lipman mask. Oh. Oh, by the way, this was hilarious. I was... uh, Picking some stuff up on Wednesday, and I was wearing my Maureen Lipman mask. And this lady said to me, Oh, I love your Golden Girls mask. So she mistook Maureen Lipman for B. Arthur, Arthur, I'm I'm assuming. And since they're both awesome, even though one's dead, I I just let it go. I I didn't feel explaining. I don't think it's because they're both awesome that you let it go. It's just that the explanation is far longer than is necessary or will be appreciated by either party. I suppose I could say she was the mother in um, the Oscar-winning movie The Pianist, but then I would have to explain about, you know, why I was watching Roman Polanski films. So, anyway. Maureen Littman was knighted this week as part of the Queen's birthday celebrations. Couldn't have happened to a nicer, sweary grand. She went on to make fun of Piers Morgan, so, you know, national treasure. Yay! Sir Maureen, or is it Dame Maureen? It's Dame. Yeah, but I, 
Everybody who's a knight should be a sir, shouldn't they? Only Game of Thrones. Yeah. And only for that one. Yeah. Finally, in proof that an actor shouldn't be mistaken for their character news, Ian Bartholomew reportedly refused to read a line and perform in his portrayal of Tim's dad. Considering how brutal some of those scenes have been to watch, I can only imagine what could have possibly been a bridge too far. Hmm. That could have gone either way. It could have been something that was too nice. Yeah. From from the way he was talking about it, it seems like it was something too horrible. Not really. And that's Corey News. That indeed. It's Corey News. It's Corey News. We have a fairly packed mailbag this week. Woo-hoo. No, you don't have to read everything in the mailbag. You just pick like one or two, like stuff you should know does. I kind of feel like we we don't get enough mail for it to to be restricted that way. Mm. I can, we kind of get enough mail usually that it's either one or two pieces or mm-hmm. three pieces. We've got four this week. Like, it feels like one of them from Chris, who has got his typing fingers on. Let's put it that way. Uh-huh. Canadian Helen wrote in to say this would be a good opportunity to bring Wayne back into the series to inspect the sinkhole. Yes, please. Which makes a good point. I don't think Wayne was necessarily... He was a structural engineer. I don't know if that would be the same thing as a geologist or a seismologist or whatever. But Probably not, but still. But any excuse. Any excuse to bring Wayne back, I am 100% for. Maybe Carol could be like his assistant. And then the second of our triumvirate of Canadian listeners, Gail from Canada, wrote in to say, Hello, Gavin and Helen. I'm continuing to look forward to listening to your podcast each week. I've just finished listening to the Saltier Than a Sailor Sweat episode. And Helen, I was nodding my head in agreement with your rant about the Nikki and Daniel storyline. I absolutely hate the storyline and how Daniel's character has completely changed. I'm getting so tired of Daniel trying to save Nikki, in inverted commas. I've been a core reviewer for approximately 40 years. I must say this past week in Canada has been some of the worst storylines I've ever seen. And I've been extremely disappointed. Take care and stay safe. Oh, thank you very much. That was a bad week. That was a bad week. The good news, Gail, is that the following week is much, much better. Yes. Then Chloe from Nova Scotia says that, so the sinkhole is still a thing. I'm relieved, but also disappointed that it didn't go on to become the depressive result of chemical dissolution of cabinet rock version of Homeless Carol. Thank you, you, Chloe. Strap yourselves in. Chris has an email about trousers. (laughs) You mentioned in your pod your concerns regarding whether you still fit in your jeans. Yes, I did. And I do, and I have two pairs. Mm. After the months of COVID lockdown, inactivity slash gluttony delete is applicable. And it put me in mind of something similar I experienced last year. I realised that, shared out between the cupboards, shelves and drawers in three different rooms in this house, I had amassed way more clothes than I had recently been wearing, with the aim of bringing back into active service some long-forgotten items which I'd previously liked, but which had fallen out of favour. I went around collecting everything together to take stock. I was stunned to find that I owned 28 pair of trousers. <laughs> Within that definition included jeans, proper trousers, shorts and tracksuit bottoms. Then, shamefully, a systematic check through every gar- garment revealed that out of all those items, there was just a single pair I could actually fit into. Oh no. As well as being a clear indication if anyone was needed that it had become something of a fat twat, I should have also told it should have also told me that I really needed to go out and buy something in my size. Instead I made vague plans to eat less and move about more. Now in the medium to long term that wouldn't that would indeed be a noble plan. However, just one week 
later a miscalculation in my laundry schedule, coupled with the fact that I don't have a clothes dryer of any sort, meant that I find myself one morning with the only pair of jeans I could still wear, sopping wet. Unable then to leave the premises, I had no option but to cancel the social engagement which I'd been invited to attend because, in very real terms, I was being held hostage by my own trousers. What was that noise? I thought you farted. I thought you farted. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. A phrase you rarely, rarely hear. You'll be unsurprised to learn that I still haven't properly added to the inventory, aside from a couple of pairs of elasticity tracksuit bottoms that I alternate with the jeans that fit me. What a useless man I am. <laughs> it makes an interesting point because I've been kind of postponing getting rid of my COVID 15 or whatever pounds that I've put on since lockdown by thinking, mm. well, I've got three months before I have to go back to the office, so I'll just... I'll just wait until that's... Yeah, and all the good work I did this summer, losing some of that weight, I've put back on because I haven't been able to get out and exercise nearly as much thanks to, you know, helping with school and and things just piling up before me and obligations starting back up that were shut down during the lockdown and everything, so... How's it going on? Blue, 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 blue. Lots to get through on the whole Nick and Natasha stuff. First of all, thanks to Ben Price Fan Club and Coropedia. Let's go over the supposed pregnancy timeline. Mm-hmm. Natasha found that she was pregnant on August 9th, 2010 and was promptly dumped by Nick and had an abortion on August 18th. Then Nick found out that she was pregnant and the two of them got back together, him believing that she was still pregnant. So Natasha desperately tried to get knocked up again against the doctor's advice that it would be highly unlikely to happen within a month of the abortion. She took two pregnancy tests, one on September 5th, another on September 17th, and both were negative. Natasha then tried to take her own life with a sleeping pill overdose on uh, September 24th. After Nick had found out about her lies, this left a window of September 17th and September 23rd for her to get pregnant again, meaning that the fetus would have been less than a week old when Natasha overdosed. If the fetus, in the hugely tentative few days of his existence, survived the overdose, the doctors couldn't have noticed that she was pregnant, or they did notice and didn't tell Nick at Natasha's behest. After leaving hospital, she stayed at Audrey's for the night and then left on September 27th, so she couldn't have got pregnant after the overdose, unless they're absolutely retconning everything to fuck. Yeah, that doesn't really seem likely, does it? It leaves a very narrow window of, like, a week where she could... Which was then followed by an overdose. Right. Yeah, that... You might explain a few things, though. Mm. Now, on the next line of employment at the time, thankfully, that's very much snappier. In 2010, prior to all of the above, Nick bought Tony Gordon's share of Underworld and was a business par- partner to Carla. Okay, so he was a knicker man. Oh, right. <laughs> I am a knicker man, and these are my knicker ways. Not the bees! That tune in my head was to a children's programme from 1980-something called The Storyteller. Uh-huh. Which I haven't thought about <laughs> in 25 years or more. And I was thinking of the Nicolas Cage movie, The Wicker Man. And now, this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. 
Welcome to last year tonight. This morning, just enough time to quickly talk about emotionally stunted man-child. Uh, this is Maria talking to Michelle and scolding her for raising an emotionally stunted man-child, i.e. Ali. Uh. I was Gavin and you were basic, bitch. I was a basic bitch because I was drinking uh, <laughs> a pumpkin spice latte, wasn't I? Correct. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't associate those two things with each other. I don't yeah. know. I, I actually don't know what a basic bitch is. Uh, it's it's somebody that does all the things that social media tells them is what they're supposed to be doing. Oh, in that case, of. that is entirely. <laughs> I thought I was getting a robocall during the show, but it actually turned out to be a survey on Charlotte's skills. Remember that? <laughs> I answered the phone mid-episode. Yeah. I had to change my hotel for my Orlando trip as the hotel I was supposed to be staying in was described by a workmate as being a bit murdery. Yeah, it turns out year. it was fine. Yeah, I should have just stayed, stayed with it. One. No travel this year. Three years ago since I was in Vegas. Three years ago. Jeez. Wow, three years ago since mm-hmm. that massacre. Mm-hmm. Just the four episodes that week. Ali and Maria's uh, hugely questionable relationship comes to a perhaps temporary closure when he falls asleep at vital moments during the plotline. <laughs> Dave and Asha... <laughs> Dev takes Asha to see an utterly fabulous Dr. Gadas, but still manages to ground Asha and Addy simultaneously. Robert is presented with something of a Sophie's choice between working up Robert is presented with something of a Sophie's choice between waking up to a naked Michelle in Mallorca or just getting on with his work in the bistro kitchen. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's still funny. David teaches that bloke with all the pen on his face how to cut hair. Ken is a jolly good fellow and Norris is back, so that's okay. Moment of the week was Ken's soliloquy on the guilt of living so long when Sinead is being taken so soon. And boring moment of the week was Robert sitting in the bar on his own like a tit. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Delightful. Shall we dive in, my dear? Please. Yas. Uh, yas. We have so much <laughs> to get through. Aye, aye, We're still aye. at 20 minutes, that's okay. Our first storyline this morning is about... Oliver. None of this is really about Oliver. No. The Oliver storyline isn't about Oliver. No, it really isn't. And that's part of the problem. <laughs> right. On Monday, Leanne and Nick are in the hospital. Leanne and Steve have an appointment coming up with a mediator. Leanne goes back into the room with Oliver when Steve comes in and Nick explains how Leanne thinks everyone is out to get Oliver, which he doesn't believe to be true. Then Nick gets a call he claims is from work, but it's not. It's, it's Sam, Sam confirming that they're still on to meet on Creepy Saddleworth Moors. Seems Leanne has been on the phone to Dr. Schmitz, who is now singing the same song as Dr. Howarth. They're closing ranks and we're back to square one. Steve doesn't think so and reckons this mediation mediation session is a chance for them to all have their say for Oliver. Gloves off. Later, they've met with Millie the Mediator. It seems it went well, it seems that they were heard, and Steve feels better getting that off his chest. Leanne thinks that the hospital know Dr. Howarth has got this wrong and they all band together because they can't say it in public. She imagines they'll have another specialist or maybe Dr. Schmidt's back on board. If they get offered a deal, they'll take it. And meanwhile, cuckoos chirrup outside. (laughs) This mediator character. Millie. Yeah. Millie the mediator. They kind of make her into a parody of a, of a mediator in the next scene that we're going to talk about. You know, the whole, I see you and I hear you. And I think what this other person is trying to say is this it's sort like, of bullshit. And it's like... It's a teacher from Beavis and Butthead, basically. It's, it, mm, mm, it just 
burns my buttons. Well, before we get to that, in number eight, Nick explains that he's met up with Sam and he's off to Saddleworth later. He's got some astro books for Sam, but then comes Gail. Nick shows Gail a photo of Sam explaining that it's his and Natasha's son. Gail remembers the timeline. She had an abortion. Nick agrees and says that she got pregnant afterwards. Sam is sharp as a tack, says mm. Nick. He'd love Sam to meet them, but he can't do that to Leanne. And Gail seems very quick to accept this as truth. Yes. Now, here we go. <laughs> Everyone seems quite... Because Toya does it later. All oh, right. So he's, he's what? Oh, okay. Sure. Back at the hospital, in a conference room, Millie the mediator has Leanne, Steve, Dr. Howarth, and invites Leanne and Steve to kick things off. But before they do, Howarth has some opening remarks. Mm-hmm. She apologises and says, it's a shame that they've ended up in this room when everyone wants the best for Oliver. Leanne misinterprets this as a climb down and apologises for walking out and is shocked when Howarth sympathises that it can't be easy to hear that nothing can be done for your child. Leanne thought that they had more positive news and expects Millie the mediator to be on their side to protect Oliver from Dr Howarth. Millie the mediator says, it sounds like both parties have come with different expectations. Mm-hmm. You think? Mm-hmm. Steve explains... And, and Leanne seems to just not understand what a mediator is for. A mediator isn't on anybody's side. It's in the middle. Right. Mediator kind of what it means. You know, trying to work with both parties to come to a happy medium mm-hmm. in between both sides. And this mediator it does not sound like a mediator. This mediator sounds like a, a uh, TV writer's idea of a mediator. And it's just so fucking infuriating. <laughs> I didn't mind the... Uh... That much, apart from she was a bit of a, she was a bit of a damp squib. Yeah, I see. Didn't really you. control the room very well. I hear you. But to be fair, what common ground is there between the two of them? Because Howarth is like the kind of uh, pragmatic, mm-hmm. clinical. We've tried everything. We've spoken to everyone. There's nothing we can do. Right. And Leanne is like, well, you need to keep on trying. But there's nothing we can do. Yeah, but you need to keep on trying. There's nothing left to try. Right. But you need to keep on trying. Mm-hmm. You need to find something or you're wrong. This is when you say, okay, well, what do you suggest we try? Lady who has no medical experience whatsoever. <laughs> is that a little bit passive aggressive? Yes. Mm. Yes, it is. Yeah. So Steve explains that they're raising money by selling their homes and businesses to contribute to the cost of the treatment. You know, Tory cuts. Howarth is astounded. No decision was made for anything other than clinical reasons. And if she'd known that they were selling property, uh, she would have been very concerned by that. Leanne accuses Howarth of spiking the Schmidt's visit because she doesn't want to be contradicted, but they can fund it. Howarth, who has the patience of a saint here, explains their money would be wasted. Leanne claims they've built up a rapport with Dr. Schmitz, because that's relevant, mm. and Howarth crushed it. Steve offers to pay for the ventilator. Leanne talks about moving Oliver to another specialist, but Howarth couldn't allow that to happen. We can't move Oliver from the hospital. Right, yeah, which is was one of our huge concerns when it sounded like they were going to try to move him to Germany. Mm-hmm. Leanne thinks that's up to them as parents, but not if it causes suffering, says the doctor. So if we move him, he dies. If he stays, he dies, says Leanne. Where's the sense in that? And at this point, she's as close as she's ever been to understanding the situation. Yeah. If you move him, he dies. If you don't move him, he dies. He's going to die. Right. Yeah. That's... that's so close. That's, that's, yeah, that's what we've been trying to tell you. And the longer this goes on... The more he's suffering. Mm-hmm. 
Oliver has a right to be treated with dignity, says Howarth. Absolutely. Miller, the mediator, suggests a break. Leanne accuses Miller, the mediator, of being on the hospital side, and Steve, who has been reasonable so far, or more reasonable. Like, every day he's taken more of Leanne's crazy pills, but he completely jumps onto Leanne's side. We're done. Howarth warns that they'll have no other option but to take this to the courts. Fine, then lawyer up, says Steve. Yeah, and this is exactly what we didn't want to happen. Mm-hmm. Where, right, right now. Yeah, this is a really tasteless storyline. Right now. Right now. Outside, Steve and Leanne are now uh, each other's echo chamber, and Leanne is straight on the phone to Imran. Back at number one, Nick explains to Tracy about the hospital taking them to court. Tracy wonders if the experts might be right, and who they might be keeping Oliver alive for. Nick agrees, but urges that they give their support. Tracy is us has become Tracy something of a voice of reason. Tracy is the moral compass of this storyline, and that tells you how messed up this storyline is. Who are they keeping Oliver alive for? Yeah. Who are they keeping Oliver alive for? Not for Oliver. No. No. Not at all for Oliver. Steve, Tracy, Leanne and Nick are in the hospital waiting room. They've spoken to Imran, who has been amazing, and who has set them up with a specialist called Elliot Newell. Mm. They don't qualify for legal aid, so Imran is going to work pro bono. The whole thing will still cost thousands, though, and Tracy suggests giving mediation one more try. Steve thinks that she's insane. Newell is the business, according to Imran. Mm. Who shouldn't be giving legal advice for all of this because he's a little too close to the family and it's a conflict of interest. <laughs> well, this happens. But all never the time. mind. Craig is walking around <laughs> arresting everybody, arresting left, everybody left and right. It's so sure. <laughs> Fine. That's because when it all goes tits up, who gets the blame for it? Imran and Elliot Newell for Right, yeah. So yeah. Imran should not be touching this with a shitty stick. No. Later, Tracy is alone in the corridor and she gets a call from Roxy. Roxy is chasing the signed contracts. Tracy says things have changed and they're not going to sell anything. The whole deal is off for everything. Nothing. Streetcars, mm-hmm. not the flat, not the florist. No. And she hangs up. She goes back in and Steve apologises. Tracy says that he's done his best and Leanne says that they haven't even started yet. Ugh. Back home, Steve finds unposted contracts on the sideboard and goes off to mail them. Tracy thinks it's a good job that they weren't posted. Steve's pissed, but Tracy points out that they aren't listening to experts and he and Leanne should be more realistic. There's a reason why Schmitz isn't coming over and it has nothing to do with Howarth or Ward before her. I don't even remember Dr. Ward. Steve accuses her of only caring about money and that Oliver is a bad investment. Oh, which is so fucked up. Tracy says he and Leanne are too close to this to see what's going on. Steve can't live with himself if he doesn't try everything and if Tracy loves Oliver, she needs to cough up the dough. I ain't selling the shop, says Tracy. Yeah. Good for her. Right. Good for her. And she points out that he has other children who who need him and need the financial security of them having jobs. Mm-hmm. Hey, remember you have two daughters? Remember Amy? Remember Emma? And I mean, Emma doesn't need an awful lot of support because she's an adult now, but still. Amy. <laughs> right. Leanna and Nick are sitting... Leanne and Nick are sitting with Nick. No, Leanne and Nick are sitting with, I presume, Oliver, talking about bath time, jammies and snuggles. Leanne reckons that the doctors think that she's selfish and cruel. So she does have that self-awareness then of how she's coming across. Yeah, but it's to these evil doctors who are only after her money and their own reputations. 
You so do it doesn't what, matter. You do what you have to do, says Nick. Back at number one, Steve suggests that Tracy might like to pull the plug herself. Tracy says this court case is... How Tracy doesn't snap here, I've no mm-hmm. idea. Tracy says this court case is going to rob him of precious time with Oliver, break your heart, empty your bank account, and fuck up Amy's future. Mm-hmm. Her security and stability. Right. Oliver's not going to get better. No. There is no miracle. No. They won't win the case. No. They shouldn't win the case. No. Steve wonders if she can do mates rates for the funeral flowers. Steve's selling up. Fuck y'all. There's so much sense in that scene from what Tracy said. But Absolutely. I, I, but I think my favourite bit was, or the most salient point was, you're putting your energy into this when you could be spending time with your son in his, in right. his final days. Right, absolutely. But instead, they're running, having meetings with lawyers and they're, they're making a case mm-hmm. and all this sort of stuff. Well, meanwhile, Oliver's still lying in that, ho- that hospital bed. Right, not getting s- Slowly better. passing away and right. not getting better. And, you know, being kept alive only by machines. Mm-hmm. And constantly seizing. That wee little still. body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Back at the hospital, outside the room, Nick is leaving a message with Sam. What's the thing you're all doing uh, that's so important that he has to let a call go to voicemail? One has to wonder. Nick confirms that he's still on for Saddleworth Moor. So Steve's back at the hospital and offers to take over from Leanne. Steve sits with his son and starts reading a story about a monster called... uh, a story about a monster and someone called Bernard. When he finishes the book, he expects Oliver to say, again, again, and he doesn't. Because? And that seemed to be a little wake-up for Steve... But only temporarily. Right. On Wednesday, once again, Nick has taken a mighty big risk by chatting to Sam on video at the flat. Sam seems a bit more calm this time, although he does think that Nick is being serious when he wonders if a fondness for space oddity is passed down through DNA. <laughs> the buzzer goes and then comes Gail, who introduces herself cute. and lists the names that she finds acceptable for Sam to call her, which includes Gail, because David calls her that. Right. Nick seems mortified by his mother's attention and intrusion and hangs up, although it fails to disconnect the call. And Sam says, I can still hear you. Sam yeah. decides to call Gail Gran, which pleases her. Yes. Now, all Nick has to worry about is telling Leanne, which Gail urges him to do. Yes. Back at number one, Steve didn't come home last night and Tracy has regrets about what she said, which Emma misinterprets as a willingness to sell the florist. Tracy has no intention of selling Amy's inheritance. The prognosis is shite, and Steve acts like she doesn't care, but she loves Oliver, but there's nothing that can be done to save him. Absolutely. At the hospital, we have a little recap of the situation during a conversation between Leanne and Dr. Howarth. Leanne wants to know if the doctor is a parent, which she is, although that doesn't have any bearing on anything. Howarth is acting in Oliver's interest, and Leanne begs her not to take them to court, but they've reached an impasse, so Leanne pledges to continue fighting. Later, Steve announces to Emma and Tracy that Imran's mate is meeting with them later, and Steve shuns any attempt Tracy makes to be civil, leaving Tracy quite upset by that. Mm-hmm. Again, you don't normally see Tracy upset by something. Right. Or so openly upset by something. Mm-hmm. Angry at something. Yes. Killing somebody. Yes. Absolutely. Will she kill again? Probably. You betcha. Nick and Leanne are at the lawyer's office with Imran, who explains it's their job to prove it's in Oliver's best interest to remain alive, which Leanne calls a no-brainer. Unfortunate phrasing. Yes. Nick wonders what when Elliot will be here, and it looks like he's going, it's going to conflict with the Sam stuff. Leanne snappily asks if Nick has somewhere to be, and won't let him leave to make a phone call. Nick's phone continues to buzz while Leanne tries to speak to Imran about another experimental treatment and he sna- and she snaps at him again, accusing him of losing interest in the case and Nick insists that nothing is more important. 
back at the hospital now, and Leanne is filling Stephen on what she called a great meeting, although they'll need to be on their A-game. Nick reminds the room that the lawyer did advise them to be, pre- to be prepared for the worst, and yeah. this sets Leanne off again, doubly so when Nick gets another text. Leanne punishes Nick by shutting him out and going to see Oliver with Steve instead. Later, Leanne and Nick are arguing about whether Nick cares. Leanne says Oliver would be lucky to make Nick's top ten, and all he's interested in is his fucking phone. If he's given up, at least have the guts to say so. Nick begins to lose his composure. The world doesn't stop turning, he shouts. Other people don't cease to exist. And Leanne's confused. (laughs) Which is a fair point, because, you know, again, Steve seems to have forgotten that he has Amy. And Leanne seems to have forgotten that she has Simon. You know, there's, there's, there's very much this feeling like... Everybody is, you know, like these two people have forgotten that there are other things in the world that they are responsible for. Mm-hmm. Nick says he's trying to protect her, but here it is. The person who he has been texting is his son, and that shuts Leanne up. Yes, it does. Nick explains about Natasha and his son, who she kept from him, and he kept it from Leanne because she had enough on her plate. Leanne thinks that uh, she's lying and can't take it in. He explains the recent timeline and how they've met up, and Leanne puts two and two together and realises that when Leanne was talking to Dr. Smits and Nick was ignoring her texts, he must have been seeing Sam. Well, at least Leanne knows where his priorities lie, and she storms off. Nick goes after her and explains that he didn't want to meet Sam because of Oliver until he got the NASA letter. He says he and Oliver are his priority, and if she doesn't want him to see Sam, he won't. She doesn't appreciate the burden of that decision and goes off to see Oliver. Later, Leanne is working her way through every last bit of PPE in Weatherfield General. She's decided they all need to meet up. All of them. Right now. They can come to the hospital today. So she tells him to phone them. So he does. Mm-hmm. And later, Nick apologises to Sam for missing the walk and Sam is understanding. This is in the hospital. Very understanding for a nine-year-old. This is in the hospital. A little too understandable. Natasha wants to speak to Leanne on their own first to make sure that there are no arguments in front of her boy. So Nick and Sam go off to get coffee. <laughs> Natasha explains to Leanne that the story Nick has told her is true and Sam is his. But Leanne remains sceptical. This is the last thing Natasha wanted, but Sam figured it out. <coughs> Somehow. I really, I really need more information on how Sam figured anything out. Yeah. Sam comes back with a coffee and says hiya to Leanne. Also, interestingly... Natasha says, you can do a DNA test if you want, Mm -hmm. which she knows nobody wants to do a DNA test right now. Well, not right now. Do you think that's a a bluff or a double bluff? I don't know. It kind of felt like a bluff. How psychotic was she? I think we need more information on how much of a psycho she was. Apparently she was a psycho. Yeah. And And I use that word with all the political correctness that goes behind it. Hmm. So Sam, what are you into, says Leanne, apart from ripping my still-beating heart from my chest and holding it in front of my face as I watch it throttle its final beat before it turns black before my very eyes. Earthworms, says Sam. <laughs> Which is new. We thought he was all about space, but mm-hmm. apparently he also likes earthworms. The macro and the micro. Hmm. Sam then goes off on a lengthy tangent about the Indian versions of Ludo, including but not exclusive to Parcheesi. Mm. Natasha explains that he soaks up information which Sam says he'll need if he wants that place at Bristol University when he grows up that's nice says Leanne and then she makes her excuses and she goes back to see Oliver remember when Stelly had that worm farm that stinking was that was that in this room 
Or was it in the hall room or was it downstairs? It was in the it was under her bed for a while and then it was in the basement. And when she moved and she was very good with them when they were in her room, but once they went to the basement, she totally forgot about them and they all dried out and died. Because <laughs> she wasn't feeding them. R.I.P. the worms. You forget that worms eat things. Yeah. Well, I do anyway. I don't really spend very much time thinking about worms. Yeah. I don't see a lot of worms around about here. Walking the streets with our <laughs> top hats and canes. <laughs> you know, you would see a worm on a pavement mm-hmm. just randomly. Right after the rain. Mm, don't really see that very often. No. So but that goes to see Leanne. She thought, he thought she did great with Sam, but she disagrees. It's a mess. She can't handle it. And she can't help but hate him for having this alternate future on a plate. It's selfish and unfair, but she asks him to leave. She can't bear to look at him. Then on Friday, Toya meets Leanne at the hospital. Leanne's sick to the back teeth with Emma, who's reading comics to Oliver in an American accent. And oh, by the way, Nick's got a son. It's fucking cues me, says Toya. And Leanne explains. Sam, nine years old, bad sense of timing, picture of health, likes earthworms. She's just found out. Mm-hmm. And again, I'd kind of beat this drum a little bit, but in times of crisis like this, mm-hmm. where you would expect families to kind of pull together and be, and especially in this kind of extended right. uh, step-parent-heavy mm-hmm. uh, setup that they've got with kids and step-kids and half-sisters Aunties and all and... that sort of thing. This is a big unit mm-hmm. to come together and fight the good fight because everyone, everyone does want the best for Oliver, for, or what they think is the best for Oliver. Right. But here's Leanne complaining about Emma. Sick to the back teeth here because she's reading comics yeah. in an American accent. It's yeah. like, how fucking dare you? Yeah, that was that really pissed me off because we had just seen Emma, you know, with the comic books that she had ordered from eBay, so weren't readily available. She spent money on them. She dropped them. She's upset because she dropped them. Right. She's in a fucking state. Right. And she's going and she just wants to spend time with her little brother. And and Leanne's being such a bitch to her behind her back. It's like, mm-hmm. I, I get that this is tough. And I get that there's been an awful lot of hate towards Leanne and Jane Danson about, about all of this. And really inappropriate things have been said on social media mm-hmm. about Leanne. And it's totally inappropriate. However, the show writes her so poorly in all of this, you know, I, with 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 little asides like this. It's like you don't need to say this. This doesn't need to be part of this whole scene. She could just say Emma's in there with him reading comic books. And leave it at that. But no, they have to make her really, really snipey at the people around her. And they've been doing this from the very beginning of this storyline. I don't know if it's poor writing. I would say that it's consistent writing because they stuck their stake in the ground weeks ago with this that Leanne is going to be angry with the world. And she's been true to that because she's been angry with Nick. Very short-tempered with Nick with his Mm -hmm. phone. Which I, 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 can, I can kind, I can, of, I can kind understand of get that, that. but, but Nick, Sam does seriously. call him way too often. Nick, Turn see, off your phone. Put it to silent. Turn it off. You don't have to listen to every single voicemail that child sends you. And see, instead of saying, 
I need to go and make a call. Mm-hmm. Say, I need to go and take a shite. Right. She's not going to stop you taking a shite. <laughs> is she? And, you know, on the other side, yeah, I, I, there seem to be a lot of people who are like, well, of, of course you would act this way. What parent wouldn't act this way? And that is kind of a slap in the face of all of those parents out there who deal with this sort of thing on a daily basis. And don't take let, the hospital to court. Right. And let their children go. Yeah, you know? peacefully. But sticking with Leanne and her, and her anger at the world, she's been angry at Steve, she's been angry at Toya. Tracy? She's been very angry at Tracy. So she has been sniping at everyone around her. It kind of makes sense that she snipes at Emma because... But then she doesn't snipe at Emma. She comes out and she bitches to Toya about, about her, Emma. Yeah, behind her back, yeah. yeah. I guess that's a little bit different. But... And it's Emma. I, I, think, I think the decision that the, the storyline has... Did, did it need to take this? Would it would it have been too uh, too easy to just kind of brush through without any kind of sticking points in terms of uh, drama and and conflict? That there had to be some conflict in this, and did it have to be from Leanne being right. angry with the world and the doctors and the hospitals? And maybe it did, but and could they have softened it a little bit and maybe please. Leanne can still be angry at the world and not be complaining about the nicest person in the show <laughs> who was just in tears about these comic books, you know, reading to her little brother, Yeah, you know? And I get that this was a storyline that was conceived of well before the pandemic. Yeah. But once the pandemic hit and once all of this pressure has been put on the NHS and and everything to save people's lives from it and people are outside cheering them on and clapping every night yada 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 you'd think that there would have been a meeting to say okay considering the social climate in the actual world today maybe we need to rethink the way that we originally conceived the storyline to go mm-hmm. you know I wonder if there's too much in the can to, to allow that to happen no, because all of this stuff has been filmed since the pandemic started. Yeah, but the dice had been rolled. You know, everybody's wearing masks. It could have been very easily. It could have been. It would have been very easy for her to say, to come to, uh, to have her come to Jesus moment and say, "Okay, we need to let him go," and not take the hospital to court. We, we, we might still get there. I'm still I mean, confused. We'll eventually get there. I'm still confused by the, the child's going to die. Well, but Leanne doesn't need to have a come to Jesus moment. No, that's true. I'm still confused about the the rules and the masks because it seems that they take their mask off when they're in a crowded place and then they put them on when, when they're, they're leaving, leaving the crowded, the crowded place. place. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure that's and, working. And wonders. some characters will have will speak their lines with their masks on. Occasionally, yeah. And it's perfectly fine. You can understand them, you can hear them. Well, we're not deaf, so The thoughts are conveyed. Back There's of the close captioning for a reason there, bro. Or subtitles if you prefer, mm. which I think I do. Just a few more scenes for the storyline on Friday. Mark at the florist, Tracy is worried about Steve and Oliver and her and Steve. Mary says that she spoke her truth and that's all that she could do. Nick happens along and Tracy's heard about the kid and they compare wounds 
Why does Steve know better than the doctors? And Nick says that she knows why. They have to wait for Steve and Leanne to let them in. And what if they don't? Asks Tracy, and that goes unanswered. Irman and his man bag turn up at the hospital and Toya fills them in on the Sam situation. Toya isn't convinced that it's kosher, but Leanne is. And this makes Toya more glad that they put off the fostering thing and put on hold. Imran has news for Stephen Leanne. He has a court date for the appeal. It's October 19th, pretty quick. And Leanne's worried that they won't be prepared and then collapses back into her chair. She's exhausted and starving and she asks Toya to get Nick. But I thought Nick was persona non grata. Get Nick! Get him! So she does. So Nick arrives at the hospital and Leanne apologises, but Nick is the one to be sorry. She didn't need this. Not now. And Leanne says that the new Leanne leaves her pride and her ego at the entrance to the hospital. What? Does she? Does she really? Does she now? And her self-awareness, apparently. Hmm. The new Leanne just needs Nick, and he says that he's always there for her. That's as far as we get this week. And that was sweet. I like that bit. I'm just so tired of the storyline. So tired. That, I think, accounts for about half of the week's episodes. Absolutely. Or the week's uh, screen time. And I'd be quite happy never to see the inside of that hospital ever again. Absolutely. You know, and it cannot be easy for these actors. You know, um, they've, they've talked about it, you know how tough it is to be in this storyline and to be reading to this doll in a bed. Mm-hmm. And good then, hair. The doll's got good hair. And, and then go home. Yeah, apparently it's very lifelike. Mm-hmm. Well, we got a couple of glimpses this week. Yeah. And then go home to their actual children and read stories to their actual children and everything. So it's, it's, it's a mentally taxing story. Yeah, quite affecting, I would have thought. It'd be very difficult just to... Uh, draw a line under it mm-hmm. once you clock out yeah and then turn it back on again when you clock back in so i'm sure they're ready for it to end as well right i don't know what the kind of prognosis is that they're given oliver here is it that if they turned the machine well it is if they turned the machine off now that he would die yes but when are they thinking about turning the machine off right now i guess why would you wait yeah. I mean, that's horrible, right? But it's not I, doing any good. Yeah, but it, it, it feels like the hospital is trying very gently to get the parents to make that decision, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, it, it feels like right now the, all the hospital wants is for them to stop trying to find new treatments and wanting to take Oliver out of the hospital. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed in them run here. Yeah. First of all, for taking the case. Mm-hmm. But second of all, for it feels like he's given them false hope. Well, he is a lawyer. <laughs> and you know what? And but it's not in his interest to fight a case that he's going to lose. But this is this is this is what I'm saying. He's he's far too close to this himself, being Oliver's uncle. Right. To. Uh, to really be thinking about this logically, which is, you know, I'm I'm more disappointed in this other guy who we have never seen. No, I don't think we're ever going to see him. It'll turn out that Paul is representing him in court. You know, saying, oh, well, this guy has, but yeah, 
you you'd think Amrod would be saying and and he does very gently try to say, "Look, this may not go our way." And Leanne jumps down his throat. So. Well, he doesn't say that. It's uh, it's Nick that says that. Nick says that that the Elliot guy had said it. So maybe I'm giving Elliot short shrift here. Maybe he deserves more credit. That he said mm. that they should be prepared to lose, and Leanne mm-hmm. says that she refuses to be prepared for that. Right. Then again, you then, know, when the, when when the realization that this court hearing is going to be in nine days, that does seem to take the wind out of Leanne's sails a little bit. Like, like she knows that this is going to that that this is going to fail. She well, knows deep down this is going to fail, and she's not ready for it to fail yet. Yeah, I wondered about a reaction to the. The, the quickness of it, I thought she'd be uh, raring to go, pleased about it, yeah, and, yeah, and up for the fight. But I think deep down she knows because it, it becomes uh, a bad choice of words, but it becomes a deadline. Mm-hmm. That if it was like a month away, well, at least she's got a month, right? Where nothing's going to happen and nobody's going to switch anything off. But if it's like a week and a half and they lose, then that's it. That's it. Two weeks, it's done. Yeah. So yeah, so it kind of does explain that. <sighs> oh well. Oh well. Shall we move on to another Please. cheerier story? And this is a, actually a cheerier story. <laughs> it's Sally and Tim, and Tim's fucking dad makes three. <laughs> it's a magic number. <laughs> Apparently so. No. <laughs> on Monday. There were Sally three. Is, in the family. <laughs> Sally is having her yes, wee Hindu. Well, she's having. A, I thought she was having a Hindu. She's not. She's having a kind of. Prosecco kind of thing in the in the morning, and Abby's got her cast off. Tim and Sally don't want Tim's dad to have anything to do with the wedding. Amy's on her way round to see Sally, so she goes off to get spruced up. Ah. I let I was making a wee joke then you didn't pick up on it. Faye is on her way round later, so Sally goes off to get spruced up before dress shopping. You said Amy first. Uh, that was yeah. deliberate because oh. see, I've got it written there. Amy joke. It, it, it's just it. It happens so frequently where it's not a joke that it's just not funny. <laughs> I'd give it up. Faye is on her way around later to see. No, Faye's on her way. <laughs> see, you fucked yourself up. Faye's on her way around later, so Sally goes off to get spruced up before dress shopping, which confuses Tim because they have vino and nibbles there. Faye and Tim are on the street outside their house when Tim's dad hobbles along with his ubiquitous plastic bag. Hello, stranger, he says. Tim ignores him, and then when Tim's dad tries to get Faye on side with the promise of a double cheeseburger, she blanks him too. In the hospital. <laughs> in the hospital. So used to say in hospital. Mm-hmm. In the prison. Alia is visiting Yasmin, who is losing weight. Uh, she tells her gran they have a trial date in December, and Yasmin is worried that Tim's dad won't allow any money to go to her legal bills. He'll siphon it all away. Alia says that she'll make sure that he doesn't get away with that, but Yasmin wants her to keep her promise and stay away from him. Leave fighting to the courtroom. So Alia agrees, but it seems that she's just placating her gran. Leave the worrying to us, says Alia. Yasmin, though, is worried about more than that. She's scared of the trial. Some days she can barely speak in sentences, and he'll be there when she's given her evidence. On another topic, there's still no sign of Elaine. What if Tim's dad's got to her first? Alia says Yasmin has truth on her side, and when they find Elaine, no court in the land will convict her. Hmm. That's true. Yeah. But we don't know where the lane is. Nope. She did. 
I don't think so. I hope not. They couldn't do that to Paula Wilcox after no. three episodes, surely. No. Gail's back. Yay! <laughs> well, we already knew that Gail was back. Cause but this is where she, But this is where she's actually back. Mm-hmm. It's just the timing of the other one kind of made it out that she was there first, but she's not. This is where she's back. Right. Damn it. She's round visiting Sally and Abby, trying to get them to sign up for a mucky book recital. No can do, says Sally. I'm busy. And Gail is put out. Every time she comes up with a new suggestion for things to do, Sally's always too busy. Rock choir, introduction to genealogy, mosaics <laughs> made simple. If she suggested breeding for beginners, it wouldn't be Sally's bag. Sally puts an end to this nonsense and explains that she's getting married tomorrow and Tim's fucking dad must never know. Sally asks Gail to be a bridesmaid and Gail is proper fucking made up about it. Yes, she is. And that was so sweet. I love that. Abby and Faye are chatting about the wedding out the back, which, of course, Tim's dad overhears because he's their next-door neighbour. No cheeseburgers with pop tomorrow, then, he says. The Russian doors, but Tim's dad has a horrible smirk. Inside, Faye rightly blames herself and has been guilted by Tim's dad. Right, because Abby kept saying, Faye. Faye. Amy. Faye. Oh, yes. Shut up. In comes Tim, who learns what's happened, and he calls Faye a great big blabbermouth, but he does it in jest. Right. And Sally and Tim play the whole thing down. But privately, Tim doesn't think Tim's dad has anything to gain from gatecrashing the wedding, but Sally's worried that the only way to stop that happening is to lock him in a box, and she suggests postponing. That's quite funny. Mm-hmm. And also... Uh, a bit foreshadowing. Of foreshadowing, yes. Tim's not up for that. And he'll speak to Tim's dad once the dust has settled. It's speed dial. Ryan and Alia are chatting about Yasmin when Tim's dad comes in and takes a piss out of them and upcoming trial. Ryan asks he leaves them alone. Tim's dad says with pleasure the two of them would make him die of boredom anyway. And Ryan, unusually sharp, says, feel free to die of anything you choose. Anything works for us. Tim's dad hasn't seen Tim sneaking in and is caught off guard that he's been overheard for a change. Tim asks his dad to stay away from the wedding for him, but Tim's dad isn't above emotional blackmail, accusing him of turning his back in favour of these screaming assholes. Tim just leaves. So on Wednesday, today is a new start for Sally and Tim and no one can ruin it. Well, fingers crossed anyway. Tim promises that today will be perfect. (laughs) And you're starting to think... Come on. Come on now. Stop tempting fate here. Mm-hmm. Sally goes off giggling. Sally, right. Sally goes off giggling excitedly while Tim does the two second smile fade thing. Mm-hmm. He's happy. He's happy. Oh, no, he's not very happy at all. Mm-hmm. Faye and Nina are talking about their dream weddings. Nina's would be in a crypt. And she would wear purple. Along comes Craig, who seems devastated to learn that Faye has a new boyfriend, someone that she met online. He lives in Canada, so no one Craig would know. Craig, though, manages to get an invite to the reception. Since when did Craig have a thing for Faye? Since the writers decided not to go with my idea <laughs> and make him gay. I, I'm still holding out hope. <laughs> he's so awkward around girls. And just the way he's like... Uh, Seriously, though, did, was this ever a thing? No! I don't remember this ever it being a thing. It was never a thing. This has never been a thing. It's just like, all right, well, who have we not matched up yet? Well, Faye's spitting in the wind and, you know, Colson Smith lost all this weight, so let's make him, you know, the hottie of the show now, apparently. Faye was with Seb the last I remember. And then he, and then she wasn't because then Emma and 
um, what's her name? Alina. Alina. Alina Pop. Were like fighting over him mm-hmm. for some reason. But she had left and then she came back. So she left with the whole feeling thing. Right. And then she came back. And she got back together with Seb. And then they broke up again. Very briefly though, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, it was very brief. She took the AIDS thing well though? Yes. Yes, because it was Emma that all, took it everybody, let's remember, Seb has AIDS. <laughs> or H- he's HIV positive. He's HIV. He doesn't he have, have full-blown AIDS. AIDS. He doesn't have AIDS. No. Which is, I, I guess, is why we haven't seen very much of him. Because I would imagine in a pandemic, if your immune system is already kind of fucked, you don't really want to be out on the street. I would be amazed if they'd given that as much thought as that. Right, yeah, because we have seen Seb on the street during the pandemic. Right. He was in the he shop. He was wearing a mask, though. He was in the shop. But he's got a new job, working outdoors. Mm-hmm. Whatever <laughs> where that means. Where he's in contact with lots of people. And he's HIV positive in a pandemic. Anyway, I don't think Craig's ever had a thing for fate. Or if he no. has, it was before us starting to watch that. Or I've the only person we've ever it. known Craig to have a thing for was Bethany. And you don't get much... And Kayla. And you don't get much further from Bethany than Faye. Right. Unless you jump in with the lesbians. And Craig can't jump in with the lesbians. Moving on. This is why him and James would make a great couple. Meanwhile, I'm not gay. <laughs> Meanwhile, Abby is trying to convince Tim that Tim's dad won't turn up. When who ambles by but Tim's dad? Sounds like he isn't taking no for an answer and has polished his shoes and everything. He says he'll sit up the back and won't say a word and assumes it's just Sally who doesn't want him to be there. Gail and Sally meet up at the bistro. Gail is disappointed that she won't be at the reception for the speeches and even when Sally mentions that there will be no speeches, that doesn't stop Gail launching into one where she calls Sally the Thelma to her Louise. Well, Sally desperately tries something... (laughs) Well, Sally desperately tries to focus on something nearby. Gail has thought of Tim as her Yoko. And Sally laughs, but Gail is serious. Mm -hmm. She has Sally's back. The cheese to my pickle, she says. Aw. Gail's clearly drunk. (laughs) Later, Sally's ready. And, you know, all of a sudden she can't be at the reception because she has to go help David fix up the house for Shona. But she was blaming them for not being at the reception or not getting an invite to the reception. But then she couldn't make it anyway. No, she couldn't make it because of Shona and David for some reason. David needs help getting the house ready for right. Shona. She's got a sinkhole to fill in. <laughs> Later, Sally is ready and she looks amazing. Yes, she does. She really does. Mm-hmm. Although she's sweating like an inappropriate simile. She's <laughs> worried about Tim's dad showing up. Abby says the only thing that matters is her and Tim and she can handle Tim's fucking dad. Abby then goes off to get some fizz, sending a secret text on someone else's phone as she does so. Mm -hmm. We don't know it's someone else's phone at the time, or at least I didn't. Mm -hmm. They're all ready to head off when Abby pretends that she has one of her heads. She She got a migraine. She has to lie down in the dark room and just let it pass. Sally offers to go get Kevin, but Abby thinks that'll deprive Tim of a sort of best man. Mm. And she insists (laughs) that she'll be fine and sends Sally on her way. So Tim's dad turns up at Sally's, dressed to the nines. Well, to the six and a half, anyway. Abby reminds him that he's not invited. Tim's dad says that Faye has texted that t- that Tim has changed his mind, but he was always going to attend one way or the other anyway. 
Abby pretends that no one tells her anything and directs Tim's dad to the conservatory where Faye is apparently getting ready. Tim's dad falls for it and Abby reveals that it was her what sent that text and she locks the old duffer in the conservatory. Tell Tim's dad it was me. I want him to know. <laughs> Stitch that, you prick, she says. So Tim's dad goes through the famous four stages of being locked in a conservatory. <laughs> he begs Abby. He tries to trick her. He threatens to smash the place up. He insults her. But Abby has heard it all before and better. She gets a call from Kev and she's still pretending to have a migraine while Tim's dad batters on the conservatory door. Oh, it's just some drunk outside, Abby mm-hmm. says. The wedding is over and it was lovely. They did this, actually, exceptionally well. Very, it was By very not smart. showing the wedding. It was very smart to <laughs> have the focus on Abby and Tim's dad, which was much more interesting than yet another wedding anyway. Right. But... Coronation Street likes a wedding. They do. And having a wedding kind of needs to have the I do's. Mm-hmm. But it speaks volumes <coughs> that the best wedding that they've had, maybe not even just in the the pandemic, mm-hmm. but, but recently, that was a great wedding by not showing the wedding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just having them, just having Sally looking so radiant and even Tim's scrubbed mm-hmm. up pretty well in the sunny street. And she's, it was a, a very uh, striking, striking shot. I liked Sarah and Adam's wedding. Oh, that was a good one. That had that the was a good one. Randy McIntosh theme. Right, yeah. yeah. And it's kind of the theme that I liked. Mm-hmm. And I kind of liked Daniel and Sinead's wedding. Which one? The one that didn't exist or the one that did exist? The one where they, For they danced Kirk was to Elbow. Dressed as a vampire. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, the one where they danced to Elbow. The real one, not the pretend one in the community garden where I guess I, I take it all back what I mean to say then is, is it much better than Maria and Gary's <laughs> yes that's exactly what I'm saying I was trying always gonna happen. I was trying not to say that <laughs> but you've kind of forced me into saying that so, so well other, well done you yeah because um, Michelle and, and Robert never did get married they just got. Sh- she just got shot. One time she just... got shot, and then the next time she'd learnt about Irish Tina. Right. So the wedding is over, and it was lovely. Now Gail is all like she can't make the reception because she's got to help David get the house ready for Shona. Kev congratulates congratulates Tim on matching his record. He's married this one twice. This one. This one. That's a Kev thing to say, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Faye goes off to change her shoes, and Sally's happy. She's legal now but not like that. Mm. And Tim's dad didn't fuck anything up. At home, Tim's dad shouts on Faye's help because Faye's coming to change her shoes. Abby lets him out and he tells her she'll pay for this. He counts on Faye as a witness, but she claims to be blind now and deaf. Mm -hmm. You won't get away with this, says Tim's dad. Just did, says Abby. (laughs) And the bistro, everyone is grateful for Abby. Best wedding present ever, says Tim. Mm -hmm. Then Craig sticks his head around the corner. It's all kicking off outside, he says. The pigs are everywhere. And they're there to speak with Abby about false imprisonment. A complaint has been made by Tim's dad. Abby denies any knowledge and Faye provides an alibi. Everyone says Abby was at the wedding. And Tim explains that estranged Tim's dad is miffed for not getting an invite. The PC is satisfied with the explanation for now and goes off. Abby thanks them all and Craig becomes suspicious. Is there anything I should know about? No. On second thoughts, keep that shite to yourselves, he says. Mm-hmm. At the yeah, reception. because he was only invited to the reception. Right. And not the wedding. The wedding was just family. Right. And Abby. And Gail. <laughs> and Kev. 
Kev is kind of family. And a duck from the from the factory. At the reception again, Kev reckons that there's never a dull moment with Abby. That's how he likes it, says Abby. Faye and Craig have an awkward kind of conversation about his weight loss and how he doesn't like dancing because people used to take the piss out of him. Faye tells him that he's he will always be lovely and he'll make a great boyfriend and she insists that they have a dance. On the way home, Tim, say, Tim sees Tim's dad coming out of Dev's. He's back in his normal baggy polo shirt and, and, and flannels. Mm. And that made me kind of sad a little bit. Why? Because there's a scene that we don't see and we would never see and we wouldn't want to see where Tim's dad, all dressed up, ready uh. to go to a wedding, goes back home and takes his fancy clothes off and puts on his normal, regular clothes and... I don't know, that's just kind of sad. It's funny. <laughs> I don't think it's funny at all. I think... I'd... I don't have any sympathy for him. What bump? But that's a kind of that's a sad wee moment there, mm. and the kind of sad wee moment where you think that he would realise what he's done. Yeah, and he never will. No. And this is kind of where this this goes because mm-hmm. Tim's dad can't believe everyone closed ranks in him. Tim says that he's lost his entire family and still thinks none of it is his fault. Enjoy what remains of your pitiful existence, he says. Boom. <laughs> Slitch that. On Friday, just a couple of scenes here. Oh, Alia... but the, like, the, the best scene ever. The best scene ever. <laughs> Alia's at the prison explaining about Tim's dad wanting to get to Tim and Sally's wedding just to make it about him. Yasmin can well imagine, centre of attention, the smattering of corny jokes. Then Alia tells her that he didn't get to do any of that, and Abby tricked him and locked him in the conservatory. After a shocked pause, Yasmin initially looks saddened, but then laughs the laugh of someone who has barely managed to smile for months. It got to the point that I expected oh, her to put so a delightful. pinky to the corner of her mouth. One billion dollars! <laughs> yeah, it was great. Just the way, you know, she takes the information in and there's this pause where you don't know how she's going to react Yeah, to I thought it. she was going to be upset about it. Yeah, I, yeah, for a brief second, you're terrified that she's going to be upset about it and say, oh, poor Tim's dad. And Alia was the same because you, you could yeah. see her sitting on the other side of the table and her expression kind of drops. And just very slowly, Yasmin's face opens up and it starts low and it starts to grow mm-hmm. and suddenly it's just the freedom of it right? where she's just free to just break down and laugh hysterically about this thing that's happened to Tim's dad. And, you know, other people are are turning around and looking at her weird from behind their plexiglass. Right. What's this prisoner got to laugh about? Right. And the other prisoners, you know, as well. And it's just, you know, because in that scene on, was it Monday? Where Alia goes to see Yasmin and they talk about blah, blah, blah. Yeah, because Wednesday was all wedding. You know, when Alia first says, you know, you're you're all skin and bones and your clothes aren't fitting you anymore. We get a little bit more of a peek behind behind the glass about what it's like to be in prison during a pandemic and the fact that they have to have all of their meals inside their cells and, and they don't get out and everything. So life is really horrible for Yasmin and so for her to just finally get this moment of pure joy is just 
You love to see it. Yeah, I think I said it best when I said that... <laughs> I think I said it best when I said that she laughs the laugh of someone who has barely managed to smile for months. Mm. I think I said it best when I said that. So later... Alia drops on the speed dial and winds <laughs> So eloquent. Later, Alia drops in on speed dial and winds Tim's dad up a bit. You can, you can flip me <laughs> off as much as you like when I'm trying to read this. And I can see your middle fingers in my periphery vision and I'm not rising to it. Just because I said something well. For a change. Later, Alia drops in on speed dial and winds Tim's dad up about how everyone hates him. She's a little late because she was visiting Yasmin who hasn't laughed so loud for so long until she found out about Tim's dad being locked in the conservatory. Soon everyone in the prison heard the story, the prisoners, even the prison guards, and they all had a fucking great laugh at Tim's dad's expense. <laughs> and Tim's dad kind of tries to get her back by saying, well, we'll just see how the fucking trial goes in, won't we? <laughs> and Alia rather disappointingly seemed to take that to heart <laughs> when she was on she was on the win. Yeah. And he seems to have getting a little barb in it. At the end towards her, I'm not sure really was that good a thing. So Yeah. Because she's so great saying, you know, you've lost everyone. You really are a sad little man. And everyone was laughing mm-hmm. at, at you because you. we know from the whole Jiggle at Tim's dad thing. Jiggle. He doesn't like people laughing at him. Right. Yeah. So everyone was laughing at you. And she and they make a very good point that even if Yasmin gets locked up for life, Tim's dad is still lost. Yeah. A lot. He's like, lost his family yeah, because what, he's a dick. What's he doing now? He's living right. on the street where everyone hates him, where his right. own son hates him, where his granddaughter hates him. Mm-hmm. Where the only people who seem to be on his side, Fizz and Tyrone. And even they, that's you know, they get said that, very quickly. They said that one thing in support of him a while ago. I'm assuming that now they've seen the video or they've heard about the video who else was on izzy izzy was on his side was she mm-hmm. we haven't seen izzy in a while i wonder why every pandemic has a bright side i guess <gasps> go fuck yourself <laughs> all right just continue mm-hmm. are we done talking about that i think so is it was there anything else i don't think there was anything else no that was it mm-hmm I thought it was, I, that was one of the highlights of the, the week for me was the, oh, the wedding scenes. Because it was funny and it was uh, And it was, it was sticking sweet, it to Tim's dad. And it was sticking it to Tim's dad. And Abby getting a chance to out Abby herself. Mm-hmm. She don't give a fuck about anything. No. She's the honey badger of the show. Good stuff. Good stuff. On to Michael's then. Just a couple of scenes on Monday. Yeah. That I think... I hope are going to be the punctuation point to this storyline yeah. and we can all move on and pretend it never Please. happened. On Monday, Michael is laid up on the couch when he gets a call from Tiana's social worker. Actually, before that, uh, James shows up briefly and is on his way out to give blood, apparently, mm-hmm. and lingers at the door and isn't sure about leaving Michael on his own. Mm-hmm. Tiana's real dad is keen to know what kind of person Michael is, so he wants to arrange to meet up, which Michael is only too happy to do. So the dad pops round, don't think he gets a name. Apparently Grace badmouthed Michael all the time, but Tiana is full of beans and she's well, and Michael says that he loved her, and he still does. 
Michael is keen to arrange some kind of visit in the future, but the dad is here to ask for a clean break. Yes. No contact. Tiana has to come first, and reluctantly, Michael agrees. Given that this request was aired as a possibility by James and Ed last week, and by Michael today, do we imagine that we've heard the last of this now? I hope so. I don't think we've seen the last of Grace, but I'm hoping that this bit of it is done. Hmm. That maybe... Why would we see Grace again? Because supposedly she thinks she's pregnant. Oh god, yeah, I completely forgot about that. Hmm. Because the set designer can't re- doesn't know what a positive pregnancy test looks like. I don't think that's part of the set. I think you're you're blaming that for what should be the responsibility of the prop designer. Yeah. Well, I think they work hand in glove, don't they? I don't know. Somebody messed up. All right. Don't care who. But it was somebody. Because that wasn't no positive. <laughs> One line is not a positive. Yeah, you've made this point. Uh, repeatedly yes so because of that you know they've they've caught her so she's gonna have to go to trial so eventually well only if she pleads not guilty i don't think she'll plead not guilty because she's banged to rights i think she might plead not guilty because she thinks she's pregnant not guilty because of pregnancy i don't think that's a thing well no i think she'll try to fight being put in prison oh she doesn't stand a chance she was caught red-handed yeah our next storyline today is rehoming Shona. Ugh. David shouts for Max and Lily to come down the stairs and is greeted by an unseen Ben Price farting at great volume from upstairs. <laughs> he lets that rip. Yes, he does. They're getting ready for Shona to come home today. David's thinking of making a lasagna. It's her favourite and she's Garfield. And, and Gail, Gail doesn't apparently know doesn't know who Garfield is, which doesn't make any sense. Where have you been, Gail? <laughs> Living under a rock? <laughs> Since the late 70s? When it stopped. When Jim Moneybags Davis stopped doing the cartoon. Do you know, I used to have Garfield books. I had lots and lots of Garfield mm. books. Yeah, I don't think Garfield I laughed. Figuring. I don't think I laughed once. That's right, my mum got me a, uh, congratulations, you did it, Yeah. Uh, for uh, passing my exams, mm-hmm. except that she bought it prematurely because I failed most of them. So. <laughs> congratulations, Gav, you failed most of your exams, you thick bastard. Oh dear, that's hilarious. I, I didn't fail most of them, I failed a couple of them. Oh, and I just I just bought a, a, a vintage Garfield clock for my friend in Oregon for a housewarming gift. What I prefer to uh, Garfield is Garfield without, without Garfield. Garfield. Yeah, those are the best. If you haven't seen these and you're remotely interested, look up Garfield without Garfield. It's a comic strip that someone has taken the, the <laughs> original. There's some artistic license here, I think, mm. but they, they take what is purported to be the original strip and they just airbrush Garfield out. So it's just basically John. It's basically John talking to himself and having an existential crisis. Right, which is essentially what Garfield is anyway, because Garfield never talks back to John. Right, but this kind of makes it more obvious. Yeah, it's it's very funny. It is funny. So Roy's back. Yay! Shona's moving out and can't remember why. David explains it's not her home. I'm going to miss you, you massive weirdo. Shona tells Roy, and then is scolded by Gail who tries to explain to Roy that this is the injury that's talking, something that I'm sure Roy has been more than aware of in uh, the last few Roy weeks. Which Roy says, yes, like, I know. 
This is going to be fun, says David. Shona seems disappointed that she'll be in the granny flat and then wants to get wired into beer and Gail advises against it. Gail was worried that Shona would be overwhelmed by moving in but actually she doesn't seem to give a fuck one way or the other. No. Later. <coughs> Gail, who's wearing a towel on her head, covers for Shona's drinking by grabbing her can as Aaron, the social worker, comes in, which was a pretty funny scene. Well, yeah, she's she's funny because she's like, no, nobody tell your grand that I've been doing my own Roots. Right, because she thinks it's Audrey. Right. But she's standing there in a house coat and she's got a towel around her head and she's holding this kind of stallion lager. Well, yeah, she's just taking it away from Shona saying, you're not supposed to be drinking on your medication. Yeah, but then Aaron comes in and sees her standing there and must assume that that's her lager. Right, because she's holding it. Right, which is, yeah. which is where the comedy comes in, from. In a, in a towel. <laughs> Wearing just a towel. I'm just out the bath, says Gail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I stopped doing that. Stop doing what? Cory Bath Awards or the league table. We haven't had very many baths. I think I think I've missed a few. Tim's dad was winning because it was that week they had a bath and a shower. Remember? Oh, that, that was, was gross. The darkest of all days. Uh-huh. Our next story is this our penultimate storyline? Yes, it is. How 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 do you feel about the way the Shona and David thing is going? I'm not a fan. Mm-hmm. I still don't like this version of Shona. Right. I have to always caveat this with the fact that I think that uh, Julie Golding's doing a decent job. Or doing oh, a, a more absolutely. than decent job uh, acting it. But these little quips of... And David basically addresses it. Because she, she mentioned something mm-hmm. about it not being the palace of... Mm-hmm. I can't remember. It wasn't Versailles, but it might as well have been. Mm-hmm. The, she said, well, Roy's wasn't exactly the palace of Versailles. Mm. And Dave's like, well, she remembers that, but she can't remember how to flush a toilet or something. Right, yeah. Which, you know, is something that happens. I mean, the brain is weird. I dare say it is something that happens, but I don't have to watch it, surely. Right. It was nice to see Roy, though. Yeah, he cropped up in a couple of storylines. Yeah, it was nice. Mm-hmm. It's nice to see Roy back. I missed him. Um... Is this us uh, gradually getting some of the... Uh, more established characters, yes. for want of a better word, yes, back in the show again. because apparently Ken and Rita will be back by the 60th anniversary extravaganza. Oh. So, um, I don't know if I like this whole Gail seemingly n- not having been on the same page as everybody else and now having to get used to the new Shona when... That should have already happened. Well, has she had, has she had exposure to the new Shona? A little bit, like in the beginning, before the pandemic. Because she disappeared. Right, because of the... Oh, yeah, because she went... She went to Thailand. Everybody's going to Thailand. It's for the um, ladyboys, isn't it? <laughs> yes, because that's what Gail and Eileen are really into. Is... Do you know, I think they probably are. <laughs> Definitely Eileen. And Gil just goes anywhere for those booze. <laughs> yeah, she, she buggered off. I, I don't remember her being in a scene with Shona hmm. prior to... But still, it's, it's surely surely David has sat her down and said, okay, well, she's not the regular Shona anymore. Because David shares information like and that. And we're all kind of used to it already. So just maybe don't say too much to her about it because we've already already been through it. It's just... It feels like a rehash of a storyline we've already gone through. 
is is my complaint about it, I think. Which is? That it's rehashing, you know, the whole getting used to Shona being oh, obnoxious. Re- rehashing the Shona story right. within the Shona, Shona right, story. Right, yes. Right, okay. I yeah, mean, is this going to happen with every character that gets reintroduced to Shona? Because it happened with David, it happened with Roy, you know, it happened with the kids. Because Gil, Gil was back when Shona was in the hospital and called Max, uh, whatever her creepy son's name is. What is her creepy son's name? Uh, Clayton. Clayton, yeah. She called Max Clayton. And Gil was there for that. Yeah, but that's not calling Roy a fucking weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she's seen any of that. Yeah, but... Because she wasn't there when uh, Shona moved into Roy's. And she didn't see the whole oven thing. Yeah, but the way Shona says, I'm going to miss you, you weirdo, it was said in an affectionate tone. No, I don't think it was. I thought it was. And my, I guess my lingering problem with this is that they're playing it for laughs and the longer it goes on, the less funny it becomes. Yeah, because, you know, the whole I don't know how to flush a toilet thing, it could have been something else that wouldn't be toilet humor. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Was that our penultimate? Did I say that? No, I did say that, didn't I? Yeah, because our final storyline. No, are... this is our penultimate storyline. Okay, line. all right. Uh, Scott Free. On Friday, Oliver's we've already said is off to see Oliver. Oliver's <laughs> off to see. <laughs> Oliver's off to see himself. <laughs> He's having an existential crisis and hallucinating while he has seizures. All of that all would of be an episode. All of Coronation Street up to this moment has been hallucinations in the mind of a dying child seizing. It's like uh, that other, it's, oh, what was the... That's my book. What was the... That's my book again. What was... Except it's not a child. What was the 80s... Um... Spoiler alert. <laughs> what was the 80s... Dallas. Uh, soap opera. Dallas. No. Bobby Ewing's dream sequence. No, I'm not thinking of that. There's There was one, was it Knott's Landing? Where at the end, like the final episode, you find out that everything has happened within a snow globe. What? And a child, that a child has been, you know, that a sick and dying child has been hallucinating this whole story. Or a comatose child or something in the snow globe that's the only thing within eyesight of the child. I have no idea. Yeah. Anyway, Emma's off to see <laughs> that Oliver would be an interesting twist, at though. the hospital. She's bought him some Spider-Man comics because they're his favourite, which is nice to know. Mm-hmm. She bumps into Scott, who offers his best wishes as a babbling Emma does her best not to cry. Then Scott spies Johnny opening up the rovers and looks shifty. Mm. In the rovers, Jenny is scrubbing the floor when uh, Scott comes in and Johnny becomes uncomfortable. Scott wants to talk about Emma, calling it a tragedy about how much cash it's costing the family. Hardly booming here, says Johnny, who's suddenly <laughs> on the toilet, and Scott wants to do some fundraising. Johnny calls him a young Bob Geldof. Privately, Scott winds up Johnny... Say about- elsewhere. It was seen elsewhere with the snow globe. Thanks for interrupting me. Sorry. Privately, Scott winds Johnny up about dodging jail time and then thinks that Weatherfield may just be the place for him long term. Later, Johnny wonders if they should send Emma home. Jenny is appalled as Emma's desperate to make some extra coin. She comes in from through the back and confirms that, yeah, she'd rather keep busy. She'll do anything, uh, like cleaning and stuff, and she feels like she's getting under a lot of people's feet at the hospital. Jenny has some free samples from a wine supplier to get through and suggests that Emma and she do some tasting. So the sad thing about this is that Emma realises that she's 
that other people are getting sick of her at the hospital, that she's getting under people's feet. Mm. And that is appalling. It is. Dev comes in muttering tongues. <laughs> sure. Someone has kicked down the door into the corner shop, stolen a bunch of cash and booze, and Evelyn switched off the CCTV so she could steal biscuits. Which is totally Evelyn. Johnny looks like he's putting two and two together here and coming up Scott. To add insult to injury, Dev's going to have to cough up 200 quid for an emergency locksmith. As Johnny predicted, Jenny's beginning to get wasted on the wine, and she's even finishing off Emma's dregs. Johnny tells her that connoisseurs spit, they don't swallow. Mm. In comes Scott, who asked to but see not like that. Emma in private. Evelyn's back. Yay! Woot woot! A lot of somebody's back this week. Yes. She comes into the rovers to tell Dev that the locksmith is at the shop, and Dev is pissed because she isn't. Her shift ended three minutes ago, and there's nothing left to pinch anyway. Evelyn gets in on the wine action and orders a hot pot. And From the, the oven lo- mind, she doesn't trust microwaves since she watched Chernobyl. And the locksmiths are there, so there's evidently... Somebody there, if somebody came in to try to steal something with the locksmiths there, I'm sure the locksmiths would say, hey, put that down. I think that's uh, beyond the remit of a locksmith. Well, still. Meanwhile, Johnny spies Scott handling a roll of cash to Emma. A pished Jenny is sad that Scott is going to be leaving, but Scott thinks he might end up staying around after all if he can get a little bit of luck. Meanwhile, Evelyn wants that bottle of leafy milk opened. A fruity number, says Evelyn, who reckons that she should be getting paid for offering her expertise. Johnny asks for a private word with Scott. So, through the back, basically Johnny accuses Scott of robbing Dev's shop in broad daylight. It wouldn't be the first time. Johnny says that he did the, uh, Johnny did the porridge for... No, Scott says that he did the porridge for both of them and he doesn't sound... Uh, and says that Johnny doesn't sound too grateful for that. Scott should have come to Johnny if he was short of cash. It beats robbing the neighbours. Then Emma comes out to thank Scott on behalf of uh, Leanne, who announces that he's got an advance on his wages. He calls Johnny a gullible so-and-so. Mm-hmm. Then in comes Roy to the rovers. He's got a message from Evelyn who can no longer remember what it was about. Neither Evelyn or Jenny can see straight at this point. Then Dev comes back in. The police have caught the burglars trying to jimmy their way into Greg's. Scott makes sure that Johnny hears this news. He apologises for his paranoia. No worries, says Scott. Small change. Then he seems to float the idea of a 20 grand job that's coming up that Johnny chooses to think of as another wind-up. Mm-hmm. But it's not. It's clearly not. And Evelyn says to um, Roy, oh, that's what I was going to tell you, to be mm. careful because somebody's running around robbing people. So here it is. And Roy's like, well, thanks. So Scott and Johnny pulled off a robbery when they were kids or teenagers or young adults mm-hmm. young Scott, adults Scott gets caught mm-hmm. gets to jail yes Johnny gets away because Scott's not a grass mm-hmm. he and gets now, away scot free which is why zing 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 yes which is why you dated this which is why that's called that I know um <laughs> you've completely thrown me oh off. and the child wasn't dying and saying elsewhere he was autistic which is even worse so, there's that history. Scott stumbles upon Johnny again. Scott, you have to imagine, hasn't been the up-and-up member of of the community since mm. he got out of jail. Yeah. And now has a chance to get in on a £20,000 job that he is going to guilt Johnny into participating in, even though Johnny... I don't want to say that 
multiple sclerosis sufferers can't take part in armed robbery or whatever, but Johnny <laughs> wouldn't be the first person I would ask to be guy See, number three on a I was thinking on armed because, robbery. because uh Scott is in the construction business at this twenty grand uh job is working for Ray Weinstein to knock down the street and build a massive hotel. No, maybe. But then what would be the point of him being a crook or criminal? It's got to have something to do with that, hasn't it? I don't know. I think he's just winding Johnny up. And he also knows that this deal with Ray Weinstein is going to put Johnny out of business. So, I don't know. I think he's just winding Johnny up because Johnny wants him to leave. Oh, desperately. Mm-hmm. Our final storyline today. On your Todd. On Monday, Finally. Billy and his man bag come home to get his laptop charger. Paul's off to training and Billy and his man bag are overly concerned again, thinking that Paul needs protecting. <sighs> Paul says he gets it. There's only room for one saviour around here and it ain't Jesus. Two if you count Peter Barlow. <laughs> Later, David finds Billy and his man bag in the community garden and offers to trade him one sinkhole for 20 tricky parishioners. So the sinkhole does get a mention. And it still exists and but, nobody's doing anything about it. But that's the only mention it gets this week. Mm. What's up? Billy explains about Paul doing volunteer work and how the omniscient Billy thinks it's too soon and too much. Then he can quit, says David, and he'll have you to rely on. David continues to talk sense, saying that Billy is there to catch him if he falls, and Billy remains unconvinced. Eileen's back. Woo! And she's insulting her taxi driver with a not joke from Wayne's World. Always a favourite. Mm. She sighs at her door and then goes in. Paul is back from training. It was tough. Billy is more supportive as Paul explains his role play as a call hander. It felt very real. And Paul thinks Billy might have been right. But Billy says that he's proud of Paul because now he can be proud of Paul because Paul has admitted that he was wrong. Then Billy gets a text from Eileen summoning, summoning him to her house. So Billy and his man bag go round. Eileen wants to hear chapter and verse about Todd's whereabouts. Billy explains that Todd and his friend Safia have ripped off a local gangster and no one has heard anything since. So what now? Mm-hmm. On Wednesday, Eileen and Mary are chatting. Eileen and Billy have uh, have agreed to make a plea on the radio for Todd to come home. Eileen worries that he doesn't want to be found, but Mary has faith, but Eileen isn't so sure that she'll ever get to see her son again. Eileen expect, is expecting Billy at the door, but it's George who's looking for flowers from Mary, but the shop's locked up, so Eileen goes off and Mary leads George to the florist, and George is kind of taken aback that Eileen is... She's quite a media little character. Mm. So with the house completely empty, a shadowy, hooded figure lets themselves in through the back door, while Sean comes in through the front door, but not like that. Sean catches a shadowy, hooded figure stealing money from the dresser. Yeah, Sean's uh, not a front door kind of man. And then making a beeline for the door. In the pub, Billy thinks the radio job went well. They know Todd is out there somewhere. Eileen wasn't sure, but she's glad she did it now. Fingers crossed. So Sean and Mary and Eileen are all at home, feeling a little dirty after the burglary. Eileen notes that there's no sign of a break-in, which is weird, and Sean explains that his spare key under the flower pot pot has gone missing. Thanks, Sean. Yep. Mary stomps off to give Ben Shepard a bath. But not like that. Not absolutely like that. (coughs) Later, there's a thud from outside, not entirely unlike the sound that Imran's favourite stapler makes when it lands on an office floor. (laughs) Eileen goes off to investigate and finds a letter against the back door. And the flower pot knocked over. Right. I expected the um, key to be back. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. No. On Friday, 
Mary reckons this was a funny kind of robbery. Nothing of any value was taken, like like Mary's heirloom vase. Which doesn't look like an heirloom at all. <laughs> no, it looks like it was kind of free if you collect three of these coupons and send away for uh, right. postage and packaging. Mary and Sean continue to chat about this while Eileen looks upset in the kitchen. It's a low-level crime. The police have more to do. Sean is worried about strangers rummaging through his privates. With Sean and Mary gone, like Eileen reads the note. Meet me at the old cotton warehouse. Please, Mum. Tell no one. Then PC Tinker goes round to see Eileen and asks her to accompany him to the station. He says he worded that badly and then blurts out that they found a body that might be Todd's a couple of days ago, which isn't really phrased any better than his opening. No. Also, how are there so many bodies in this? (laughs) Another one's turned up. Eileen can't uh, make it and she she needs some days to get her head around it and that seems to be enough to satisfy PC Tinker so, so he lets himself out. Lenny needs to talk to Billy, but can't find him or call him, so goes to Dev's instead to see if he's there. And that's where he meets Sean, who tells him that Eileen's back. Lenny doesn't want to talk to Eileen. Lenny doesn't want to talk to Billy. Lenny can't do this shite anymore. Lenny's done. Such a triple-A private investigator is our Lenny. Well, yeah, he gets this tiniest tiniest smidge of a threat against him. And he's like, (laughs) I'm out of here. He folds like a cheap suit. This is exactly like what happened the last time we had him. Right. Meanwhile, Eileen, on her own, has got a black cab to a dodgy warehouse outside town. Back home. Sean is concerned about Eileen. She's not answering her phone and Tim says that she didn't turn up for work on her first day back. Mary thinks Eileen might be having an illicit affair, which Sean accuses her of jumping to at any opportunity. Sorry for being romantic, says Mary. So Eileen is wandering around the containers when a hooded figure appears behind her. Todd, she says. Hello, Mum, he says, with his brand new head, without a scar on the face. He kind of looks like that Bruno Langley from below the nose, or what I remember of him, but not like that. Mm. He needs help, she figured. Has this got anything to do with a local gangster? At which point the local gangster appears, and Todd swallows like he's trying to shift a whole... Hello, hello, hello. Todd swallows like he's trying to shift a whole unwrapped mini baby bell in one go. (laughs) Gulp? Could could, Could they have found a more, you know... Gangstery looking gangster. Again with the ears. And the nose. Hello, 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 governor. I'm here to nick your... Helen's trying a Cockney accent. He's like... Enjoy. This guy, this guy has just, you know, stumbled off the set of Oliver next door. He just looks very... Like the... um. Never mind. Yes, never mind. <laughs> Todd offers himself in place of Eileen, although I'm not sure Mick the gangster has any interest. He'll go quietly, just let me say goodbye to my mum. Mick says he's lucky that he's a sentimental fool. He's also just a regular fool because he gets a call and turns his back on Todd and Eileen, which allows Todd to twat him over the head with about a bit of two by four. Todd and Eileen need to get as far away as possible. And Mick seems to be the latest in a long line of inept gangsters, the only baddie who seems to have the first clue what he's doing is Ray Weinstein. Mm-hmm. Todd explains that he was working for Mick, giving him legal advice, arranging meetings, helping them launder cash. Eileen tells him he doesn't know how lucky he was. He had everything but lacked the application, now he's just a criminal. It makes her sick. Todd explains that he stole off Mick, and now the Manchester crime scene all want him dead. He came back to warn her after all the publicity that uh, she was after all the publicity she was involved in. What a mess. Mick has ears everywhere. 
which was an unfortunate cho- choice of phrase again. Mm-hmm. Eileen tells him to go to the police, uh, but he needs to disappear and fast. So Eileen gives him some cash and asks when she'll see Todd again, and he doesn't know. Eileen mentions that she has to go and identify a body at the uh, police station tomorrow, and Todd thinks this is a great idea. Tell the cops that it is Todd. There'll be a death notice and a funeral, and he can finally disappear for good. And that's how we end this week's episodes. You think Eileen's going to do that? Uh, well, she kind of intimates during the conversation that she doesn't want to. She do doesn't that. want to do it. It's breaking the law. It's given. It's removing a closure for another family, right? Which is true. Yes. It doesn't seem like an Eileen thing to do. Mm-mm. Then again, this is her kid. Allegedly. <laughs> right. Kind of disappointed that they didn't remember to put a scar on his face. Yeah, that that should the have one been thing, an easy thing to do, wouldn't it? The one thing. Yeah. Maybe he's gotten the scar fixed since he's got all this money from helping this gangster launder money. Hmm. I don't know. Doesn't seem reasonable, I don't know. No. The new Todd. I don't... I don't. Did you remember the old, the old Todd? Todd? So, I don't care. I think the old Todd was maybe about a year before we started doing this-ish. Maybe six months before that. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's too early to tell. Yeah. I didn't like that gulp. For one of your first things to do is an overly dramatic gulp. Nah. It's like, nah. I wasn't bothered. Yeah. I almost made a gif. <laughs> <laughs> almost. Almost. There's still time. He's an interesting character. There's plenty of scope there. We needed something to kind of aggravate the Billy and Paul situation a little bit more. Oh, because the Kel thing wasn't enough to aggravate the whole Billy and Paul thing? Well, it's not going to really pull them apart, but, but Billy's becoming a bit of an asshole, and I'd I'm, I'm be quite happy to see the back of him uh, in terms of the Paul relationship. So what you're saying is you wish Peter had pushed him harder off that cliff that he oh, survived Billy? from. Probably. <laughs> I still don't understand how he survived that. Oh, with the uh, opioids that he got addicted to. Oh, that's Great right. fun. Mm. I really enjoyed Friday. I enjoyed Wednesday again more than I enjoyed any other episodes mm. uh, through the week. But the whole uh, this bit didn't really. It was the main thing on Friday that didn't really right. grab me that much. Yeah, I guess nee. for a returning character, it, it it feels like it's setting up for expansion next week which is kind of the way the pattern that we've had here where monday is a continuation of last friday wednesday is really good and then friday is setting the cans up for the next week yeah i imagine a very short reintroduction for todd where we finally get rid of this whole mix thing that'll be covered in a couple of weeks and then we'll get back into the reason why he's back in the, the show and that'll probably be to interfere with the relationship between billy and paul or hook up with Sean or James not sure oh James James does need a hook up and they're not giving it to Craig which makes me sad (laughs) okay we've been talking quite long enough for this yes please your moment of the week Yasmin's laugh Uh, I kind of thought maybe Abby taking care of Tim's dad that was great and I enjoyed it but nothing was nearly as satisfying as Yasmin's laugh and and the acting that she did with her face. 
Face acting was just. We're, we're very, very fond of face acting. It was just, just so spot on and believable and amazing what she was able to do with her face. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yasmin and her face are our. And her laugh. Moment of the week. Moment of the week. More than moment of the week. Michael meeting Tiana's dad. It was it was almost not worth having. Yeah, because we kind of already established that he wasn't going to be able to have a relationship with her. Right. The only thing that we we gleaned from that was that uh, Grace was bad mouthing him behind his back. Right. Which who cares? Right. And I mean, why would she even bring him up? Yeah. Why would Why would she? I don't know. Oh, I keep bumping into this guy I used to have a relationship with. Oh, he's so bad. Oh, he's so awful. Why? There's there's no point in it. Well, I guess the mother knew because she was her best friend. So her mother knew that she was in a relationship with him. But why would she... Up. But why would she still be talking about it? Right, yeah. That's that's my thing. Mm. Yeah. Is that her? Boring moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. Sure, why not? Yeah. I haven't done the outro again. If you've... <laughs> ever acted with your face <laughs> if you've ever acted with your face or any other part of your body that isn't your voice maybe your maybe your knee maybe your bobby <laughs> hmm. maybe your clavicle write and and draw a picture <laughs> and show us which part of your body you did the best part of acting with the best items will be posted in the gallery <laughs> where we will listen to some vision on music as we go through them. <laughs> you can write to us at the talk of the street gmail.com and that's also the address that you can get in contact with us on voicemail on Skype. People are going to be sending us dick pics now. I doubt it. And if they do... Sure. Sure, why not? Uh, or send us a couple of Badgers for a virtual tip jar on PayPal. We're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you feel so compelled, you can leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. That would be very much appreciated. And our merch store is within the bio is it on our Twitter page. Or is it app, the Apple Podcast app? I've always just iTunes, called it iTunes. It? People know what I'm talking about. On the iTunes. The purple one. As, as Uncle the, Gav sits in his rocking chair the purple watching one. his stories. With the eye and the circles around it, not the one that looks like a musical note, which I don't even... Where is iTunes? I don't see iTunes on my phone. What did I do with it? Thank you for making it to the end of another episode. Yes, not the white one with the multicolored musical note. The purple one with the letter I with circles, which I think is a microphone. I almost said microwave. This we'll is this is, this is your main <laughs> This is your main contribution to this week's episode, by the way. No, I'll see it elsewhere. The autistic child with a snow globe. Bye. I didn't count that as a, as a contribution. That is a contribution. Thanks for making it to the end of another other episode. We will be back next week with more talk of the street. <laughs> Cheerio. Bye.